0: Hello, and welcome to The Advance, conversations about news and the Mid-America Union Conference of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I'm Pablo Colindres, Digital Media Manager at the MAUC. This week, I chat with Tim Floyd, Youth Director for the Kansas-Nebraska Conference. We talk about his journey of belief, growing churches, prioritizing young people, women, and minorities. what kind of church we want going into the future. My
1: name is Tim Floyd. I'm the Director of Youth and Young Adult Ministries for the Kansas-Nebraska Conference.
0: Okay, how long have you been doing that?
1: This will be my my third year. Um, I've been in the Kansas-Nebraska Conference for um, about five years. I I got here in 2013, but uh, I was youth pastor at the New Haven Church in Kansas City and then moved up to the conference
0: office. What have you been up to lately? I know you're here for Pathfinder. I'm,
1: I'm in the middle of um, like the busiest season <laughs> for, for youth director because we're in the summer camp recruiting, we're in the Pathfinder uh, Honor Festival and PBE time, and we're into young adult emphasis with the the collegiates because they've just come back from Christmas break. They're into a a good groove with school now. So it's just, there's a whole bunch of different areas that I'm super busy with. But specifically this weekend, I'm in town for uh, the Pathfinder Honor Festival and PBE Friday through Sunday. And then Sunday through uh, tomorrow, I'll be over at Union College recruiting for the camp. Cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's (laughs) exciting. So far, good showing?
1: Yeah, it's not bad. You know, it's really hard with youth and young adults to work at camp. There's uh, this weird phenomena, it seems, with all of our camps are struggling to get people to work at them. Yeah. There, There are not the same draws as there used to be in terms of we'll just go and work at camp and it'll be swell. Now they're even high school kids saying that they need to take classes for college in the summer and they've got internships that they've got to get out of the way. And um, everyone's in a hurry to grow up and hate their life.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, it just seems like summers are a thing of the past. I, uh, you know, I remember almost going through high school without having a job in the summers. But, you know, after a while, you have to start getting a job. and, And now, like, my little cousin has jobs. He's like in junior high or something like that. That's that's crazy. Yeah,
1: Yeah. and I'm trying, as a result of that, I'm trying to make summer camp more useful to people beyond just the ministry of it. I have to start thinking in terms of how can this count for some sort of internship credit or some sort Mm -hmm. of academic value. Uh, So I met with department heads uh, at Union and sat down and said, hey, how could we count this to be either an internship or some kind of um value beyond like what, what would this position do to be useful to you. Right. And some of them have given me some really great feedback of things that I've built into the job description so that now when I'm communicating it back to young mm. adults to work there, I can say, well these things would be
0: great for these majors. And right. That and helps. you can put those on your yeah, resume right, right. and it'll look like transferable skills. That's yeah it's pretty smart. It's pretty proactive. Yeah. And uh, this is getting to the crux of what <laughs> I wanted to talk to you about okay. because um there's a certain number, degree of people who are idealists but get burnt out real easy. Yeah. Uh, and working at, in church, and I've I worked like both government mm-hmm. and the church, and so <laughs> that happened to me really quickly. Um,
1: I think I'm more of a pragmatic idealist. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I know it's never going to work, but I want to keep trying.
0: <laughs> yeah. And so, um, first of all, where does this energy come from? What well, how do how do how do you keep going even though? Things might not look up most of the time, or a yeah. lot of the time. Yeah, some of
1: some of youth ministry and young adult ministry can be very discouraging. Um, just seeing either either seeing young people who have gotten you know paper cutted to death out of the church, mm-hmm. or seeing you know really unhealthy spiritual behaviors and beliefs invade their lives, or seeing them just give up altogether. It can be very discouraging to see. The results of that, and I see it every day. I see it on social media. I see it in the faces that I meet over at the college. I see it working at summer camp. As you know, life hits them. It's just incredibly discouraging. Right. For me, the thing that keeps me going is, I think, just knowing that the God that I serve is bigger than my own issues. It's He's bigger than um, the things that they're facing. And being able to communicate that, I think, is an important part of any ministry setting where you're sitting down with people and you're trying to give them hope. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, I, I have to practice what I preach, and I believe that God is big enough and capable enough to fix anything that I break. And mm-hmm. so I, I just trust that he knows what he's doing, and he's going to pull us through. and so that allows me to not worry about it because he's worrying about it for me. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I just do my job and hope that everything is uh, according to his will.
0: <laughs> so uh, tell me about some, some key moments. Uh, in your formation, I guess. I don't know if people don't like the word formation per se, but it's as long as you don't put spiritual in front of right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. it, right? Yeah. What what, what, are your, what have been some key moments? Or any times that you had serious doubts, or maybe affirmation of that you, where you were going was the right place?
1: Um, I've had a number of points in my life where I feel like you know I see the road sign that says I'm on the right road. You know I don't have to really wonder where I'm at because I right. I've seen those. Uh, those times those checkpoints in my life that confirm what God has been doing early on I I have been all over the place in terms of my own spiritual beliefs and, and the development of that um, I was an atheist for a while I tried on a number of other religions that have kind of impacted the way that I see myself and other people not that I'm you know an adherent of those beliefs but they definitely have uh, given me, um, a bigger picture when I talk to other people. You've been able to learn. I feel, yeah, I feel yeah. like I can understand where they're coming from because I was in that position myself at one point. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in high school. Uh, I had my parents had gotten divorced, and I had transitioned out of uh, public school into Ozark Academy, actually. Arkansas, um, right? Yeah, in Arkansas, and I, you know, I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford it, but I ended up working two jobs to pay for it myself. And I didn't have any help from the church. I didn't have any help from my family. And it was just something I wanted for myself mm-hmm. because I knew that the life that I was living in the public school that I was in uh, wasn't healthy for me. And I knew that I needed a better environment for myself. And I knew no one else was going to do it, so I had to do it for myself. And right. that was that was a really rough time. How old were um, you? I was probably um, 17 or so. Okay. Yeah. So you know, I worked two jobs to get... What I wanted and, and, uh, nearly killed myself, but <laughs> just a lot of extra, a lot of extras. So I didn't even get my high school bill paid off because nobody was really helping until my sophomore year in college. God, so
0: yeah.
1: it was just one of those times where I knew there was something more and something that would be better for me in the long run. So did, did what it took to get there. And, um, that was a defining moment for my spiritual journey, just taking ownership of my, of my your, future, your, yeah, yeah right. of who I was going to be and what I wanted for my life. Um, going to union, I think, was a big part of shaping who who I was. I think we all go through phases where we think we have to behave a certain way in order to fit the mold of, you know, the assumed this is what a spiritual person looks like or acts like. Right, yeah. And, and I went through a phase of that myself where... I thought I had to be a certain way to be, you know, Christian or whatever, mm-hmm. and or a good Adventist. And I, I feel like I've grown past some of that obligatory faith to more of a, a practical day-by-day walk with God. And right. That just comes with time. Mm-hmm. It's not something you can force people into certain steps or, or processes to get there themselves. It's just you got to take your own journey yourself until you get to that point where you're in a real relationship with Christ,
0: yeah, especially like your decision to so young to do something you know so out of the ordinary. I think that those decisions that we make as young people do really do carry on with us. We're asked to make some huge decisions, but we have no idea what we're doing really. Yeah. You know, many times we, we choose a major that defines the rest of our lives too early on, too yeah. early on. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> for many of us, I, I speak from personal experience, even the decision to get baptized is something that. You know, it's kind of thrust upon you. Yeah. And you kind of... You really you don't feel know like, what you're doing. You just, yeah. you know, you have to do it. You feel like you have to. Yeah. You feel like you, you better You better, or, or you're in the wrong somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what about times of affirmation? You, you, has there been something since then that you... Uh, maybe you were doubting and then something came up and you realized, this is this is what I have to be doing. This, this is my calling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had several times I think in life where I've I've felt like I've just kind of gotten a big neon sign from God saying this is definitely what you should be doing right now with your life, and I've had moments when um, I was a task force worker and assistant boys' dean uh, working with young people, and uh, you know some of the most difficult people in the dorm ended up being some of the most rewarding relationships where you, you you could be really annoyed with someone and not really even know why you don't really like them on right. a human, on a yeah. human level. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then, you know, one late night, you're just up talking and maybe they did something wrong and they're in the office because they did something wrong and you're actually getting to the heart of the matter of why they've been behaving the way he- they have. And mm-hmm. then you realize that there's so much more going on underneath the surface with them and you have these deep conversations until three in the morning and you realize that they went to bed that night uh, feeling better about themselves and mm-hmm. that you you visibly saw um, growth in who they were in that short amount of time that you had with them and to know that uh, you were used by God to see that growth come, come into reality. Um, things like that, you know, seeing... Um, working in our schools, seeing various events really come together and to know all the uh, problems and challenges that, that were in the way of those events happening, but then to turn out to be an amazing event and uh, a tremendous blessing for the people who attended. Uh, it's hard to not believe that there is a, a designer behind that shaping those things to happen to, um, to result in something to his honor and glory. Um, it's really cool seeing God work Mm-hmm. And not really know where he's going with stuff sometimes, but to, to know that something is happening. Right. And then later to look back on it and say, wow, that was really uh, an amazing time when I know God had to have been involved with this. Mm-hmm.
0: Just to make it clear for our <laughs> listeners really quick, anything that we do say, if it, if it is criticism, is going to be constructive criticism. Yeah. And that we want to focus on solutions. Yes. Um, That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, a lot of times we just get caught up with... Um, this could be better, and then... Right. You don't want to go too negative. <laughs> right. In terms of how the church is uh, going right now, mm-hmm. do you think that maybe there's room for improvement? I mean, I know there's always room for improvement, but what are some areas do you think that really need, to need our focus on that maybe we leave on the wayside because it might seem too daunting to take on a task right now?
1: Well, uh, there are definitely... There's always room for improvement. Um, I, I don't think we'll ever really... Have a firm grasp on what God wants of us until we're in heaven and He's actually talking to us.
0: Right, and <laughs> even think, then, yeah, and even then we're going
1: to be learning forever. So, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think there is room for all of us on a on a personal level to grow, and I think uh, institutionally there's room for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, we we all have our own issues that get in the way. Uh, our, our humanity is broken, and we are all selfish, and we all have ambition and pride and ego and all these things that get in the way of getting work done, um, I have a lot of times in my life when I've looked back and thought I could have been more useful to God if my ego hadn't been in the way. Mm-hmm. Um, institutionally, uh, I can I can look back and see uh, churches and schools that I've worked for that I really um, – I just kind of shake my head and think, wow, we really missed the point, mm-hmm. and – Sometimes we focus more on these little issues that I really have come to believe are silly. They're, they're pointless in the bigger picture of what God is trying to do through us. Right. And um, I get excited thinking about opportunities to be better. Um, you know, there's this joke that a lot of youth pastors and chaplains that I've worked with over the years, we always say we want to uh, start our own school you know, it's just the teachers that we think are normal and aren't crazy and aren't going to lead the kids down some weirdo path. And, you know, we'll all uh, have a great time together doing our own uh, Adventist school and under the name of Adventism with normal Adventist, sane Adventist people. And it'll be great because we'll just be working with those people and we won't have any of the difficult ones.
0: That just sounds like heaven. Doesn't it? Yeah, yeah It's never going to happen,
1: though, um, because uh, if... If it's not someone else, it'll be me that's the problem, I'm sure. (laughs) In the same sense, you know, a lot of pastors I've worked with have always said, oh, it'd be great to just start a church with these kind of pastors and these kind of members. And I think we're kind of missing the point. We really need everybody. It's an all-hands-on deck, and we need to learn to get along. And we have to work through those conflicts, not just branch off into some other group that's going to be just like us, and then we won't have any conflict because of that. So I think there are some solutions to... um, some of the things that I've seen to be difficult over the years in either right. schools or churches. Um, one of the things that gives me hope is uh, this Growing Young Adventist uh, study that, that we're embarking on with the North American Division. Um, Fuller Theological Seminary wrote this book in uh, 2016 called Growing Young, and they did all this research. Uh, we know why our young people are leaving the church. That has been studied to death. Right. We, we have more... And this is from an Adventist perspective. Uh, I really do feel like we have more evidence that uh, backs up why and who and at what point and for what reasons they're leaving the church than we do a lot of our fundamental beliefs. You know, proof yeah, text true. for our fundamental beliefs. We just we have so much evidence that we've been studying this uh, for for a very long time since mm-hmm. 1965. And now now we've got all this stuff, and it's like, well, what are we doing with it? And, and we just keep studying We it just keep studying, studying it and not yeah. doing anything about it. And so what Growing Young has done uh, with Fuller's research is they said, we know why they're leaving.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's working, though? Like, what, what is actually working? We've got all these other churches that, that we know exist that are doing things right. And mm-hmm. they're maintaining their young people, and they're actually growing numerically, too. And they're, they're growing in that specific segment of generation that most churches are losing. So what are they doing right is kind of the whole point behind growing young is they're growing, and they're also growing in that younger demographic.
0: Now, you guys, uh, I'm looking here at, at the Spectrum magazine. Yeah. What month is this?
1: This or? is a brand-new one that just came out, uh, Volume 45, Issue 4. This is okay. December of
0: 2017. And this is where you have – this is the, the introduction to the uh, –
1: this is kind of an introduction to why we're doing this study. Um, I, I'm really hoping that uh, the that Spectrum gets a good response from this and that they decide to pursue a, a series of each of the core characteristics. Because what, what Fuller has found with the research of Growing Young and why we're studying it from the North American Division is... Um, what churches are doing right, and how can we get some of the local churches that aren't doing these things to kind of shift gears and refocus so that we don't lose any more of our young people. Kansas-Nebraska Conference is, a, is an amazing opportunity. We have uh, so many of the younger generations that most of our conferences and local churches are losing. 60% of the Kansas-Nebraska Conference is under 40 years old. Wow. And to me, that's just an amazing opportunity. And, you know, we've since I've taken over the young adult end of the conference, we've been looking at why. Why do we have this plethora of young people? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it because we're doing something right? If so, how do we keep doing that? If it's because Mm -hmm. we're just, you know, maybe it's like, we have a lot of colleges and universities, and so they just happen to be in that area right. between Wichita and Kansas City and Omaha and Lincoln. Those are big college towns, so maybe they just stay locally when they graduate. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's just because it's the Midwest and we're the last to hear about most things. So maybe they just <laughs> haven't left because it's just not cool yet. But we, we have an opportunity. And so we're looking at this growing young saying, what are these churches doing that's working at maintaining this, this demographic?
0: How much? Uh, how much is left on this? Do you have any more? Uh,
1: so, where we're at in the process, um, we spent um, about a year and a half reading through the book and discussing, and we decided that discussion needed to end and we needed to take action, and so uh, we put together a proposal and submitted it to the North American Division to send a group of uh, a group of us out to Fuller to get trained. Mm-hmm. Um, one-on-one with, with their authors of the book. Um, so 13 of us are sponsored by the North American Division to uh, go out to Pasadena, and we're in the middle of the training cohort to become certified trainer, uh, certified speakers and trainers for the North American Division. And so my role with that is, throughout the Mid-American Union, I'm the, I'm the trainer. So any churches that want to grow their church young... We're here to serve, and I will be going back out in a couple of weeks to Fuller to to finalize uh, the certification process. We've been doing webinars and cohort trainings back and forth with that, and um, they send us assignments, and we work through all that and then go back and work with them. Um, So right now, uh, the next step in that process is uh, start building churches. We've got a couple of churches that are in the middle of a church assessment to grow their church young, and it's not that they're fixing their churches. They're basically just saying... um, this is a, 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 a thermometer that tells you the temperature of your church, and it's up to you and your church boards to now set the thermostat to what you need. So right. the, the results of that tells you where you're at in their six core characteristics, and then you use that information to grow where you need to young. Um, so from there, it's a local local thing. Churches who want to grow young, um, I. I'm fully available to come in and train them and mentor them through the process and then help advise and give them recommendations on what they can do.
0: Are there like specific avenues that we have to go through reach you or? So
1: no, I mean just, uh, through the Kansas, Nebraska conference office, my, my email is just tfloyd at ks-ne.org uh, and, um, or call the Mid-America Union office and, and have, uh, Hubert set it up uh, through the youth department there. Okay. And, um, You know, the the future of this is really exciting, though, Again, you're talking about hope. Um, The idea is that by the uh, called convention, um, the big one in 2020 with the GC session and all the other things that are coming up, the, the plan is to have some case studies where we have Adventists or we have churches that have growing young Adventists in them. And that they've become, you know, examples of what a church can become when they grow young, when they change their direction, when they prioritize young people, when they become best neighbors to their community that they can, when they put their, you know, their money where their mouth is in terms of their young people, mm-hmm. um, results are seen. And so right now, I've got two churches in the Kansas Nebraska Conference that have already begun that process, and we're looking for more. I've got, um, you know, a lot of conferences in the Mid America Union that have a lot of young people, and we could very easily have uh, a handful per conference that are examples of where we could go. And it's exciting to see the hope in that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea from the North American division is we want to see all of our churches do this. We want to see all of our churches grow, just like we did with the 2013 Barna uh, study. We want to do a growing young Adventist study Mm -hmm. and look at What we can actually, what we're actually up against, and what we can do to move forward and stop all of these trends from happening more. Mm -hmm. And they're simple things. They're they're not simple. I shouldn't say they're simple. They are. They're not program focused. They're culture focused. Common sense things. Yeah, common sense things that we should be doing anyway to have authentic community in our local churches. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're also culture change, which is incredibly hard to change. Because right. it's me deciding to be these things myself and every individual member deciding this is who this is a type of Christian that I want to become. And then collectively uh, putting an emphasis on those things. So they have these six core characteristics. Uh, Keychain leadership is a big part of it, giving actual authority to young people. And they use the example of the key because a key is a symbol for uh, an access point. Right. So you, you think of a door, And it's locked and you can't get in, you can't kick it down, you can't do anything. But if you had a key, you could just slip Slip this little thing in there and it unlocks opportunity. And so from Fuller's symbolism of keychain leadership, they say there's all kinds of people who have keys, uh, leadership responsibilities and positions. And they say that, you you know, you've got um, key hoarding leaders who they want to keep all the keys to themselves. Mm -hmm. They want to be the ones in control of all the ministries that happen at the church. And nobody else gets the keys because I'm the only one qualified to open those doors. Right. And they talk about key chain leader or uh, uh, key ring leaders who will loan keys out to people. And But the, there's some strings attached to it. And you have to do it my way. You have to do it within this amount of time. Right. These you are, have, these are yeah, the things you These must are follow. the conditions. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm taking the key back. Got it. And you have people who are keyless leaders who they have tremendous abilities and leadership and and things that they could be doing, but nobody's given them the key to do it. Mm. And they don't have any authority to back up what they're saying, but people listen to them. Um, But there's no official seal of approval in their life. So the keychain leader is somebody who, according to Fuller's research, is somebody who is... um, Interested in making a key for someone, giving it to them with no strings attached, no expectations other than I want to see you succeed, and I'm going to help equip you to do that. So here's your key to take charge, to do what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And these are things like putting people into um, not just church board positions or you know some youth deacon or something, but actually giving them uh, a position within the church, whether it's music coordinator or um, social uh, social events or something like being in charge of something yeah. actually in charge of it. Um, so another to make it their own. Right? Yeah. So they can make it their own and something have that ownership to go with it. it. Yeah. 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 Um, another one of the six core characteristics is uh, empathy today. Like empathizing with our young people. Having a heart for what they've gone through in life. Walking in their shoes. Having such an open posture toward them that you're not just criticizing them uh, f- for how they're dressing or you know what scripture version they're using or any of those silly conversations that right, we have, yeah. but actually focusing on, I care about this person and I want to understand where you're coming from and I want to help you be better. Mm-hmm. Um, empathy is a, is a huge part of that. Um, they also said that these churches that are growing young um, put Jesus' message first. It, they, mm-hmm. they talk about everything within the context of Jesus. So all the doctrines, all the, the dogmatic things don't matter because it's put Jesus in the heart of every single one of those things. Right. And we can do that with the 28 fundamental beliefs. We can do that with them very easily. Every single one of the 28 fundamental beliefs is about Jesus. Right. And I had a professor one time who said, if you take Jesus out of any of those, then we have to take him out of our fundamental belief systems because they mm-hmm. have to always be about him. Unfortunately, we, a lot of times we mess that up. We make it about the issue. We talk about prophecy, but we don't talk about it in the context of Jesus. Right,
0: it's not point. Yes, yeah. Is, yeah.
1: I mean, Revelation. We we often cut that short, and we like to talk about scary monsters and you know cheesy B-rate horror movies of these beasts coming up out of the ocean. Yeah. But giving a
0: because I like me and I for years and <laughs> right. years I hated the Revelation. Yeah, the yeah. the
1: cheesy drawings that we have in the in the pamphlets and stuff, but. The reality of it is it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And when we put those letters to the seven churches within the context of Jesus talking to them about how to come back to him and, you know, the 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 bigger picture of it with Jesus at the center, it makes so much more sense. And it's not scary. It's not doom and gloom. It's just hope that he's trying to redeem his young people, his kids, his adults, his everybody has a home and it's with Jesus. Right. And if we look at our beliefs in that context, if we preach our sermons in that context, um, that, according to Fuller's research, draws more people and maintains more people.
0: One of the key things you said there was, if we put Jesus into everything, mm-hmm. people are, tend to grow more. Yeah. And I think, and this is just theory, and I think this is because Jesus was very... Personable, you know. He made it a point to identify yeah. with us, and yeah. and and live it. Or the record that we have, at least, yeah. is is written in a way. You know, the, the language that the gospel writers use yeah. is is meant to evoke a certain kind of uh, relationship. Yeah, right.
1: But the Lady of Adventism says that the Savior mingled with the people as one who desired their good, and once he won their confidence. Then he bet them follow me.
0: Yeah. And so to me, that ties in with something that uh, the church just rolled out all the, all the new logos and all that yeah. stuff. And and one of the things that, that that bothered me with it, and I was able to talk to the designers and people who, who uh, disseminated all this stuff. One of the things I captured was this mentality of, oh, we need to Give this this church branding, and yeah. it came from the top to the bottom. Yeah. But the thing is, many of the keys to these churches aren't owned by people at the top; they're yeah. owned by the members. Right. You know, uh, and that's and I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of organizations and, and other denominations. That our church is very, we, we take it we take very a lot of pride and ownership of it. Yeah. We're the only denomination that calls ourselves generational. You know, I'm uh, third generation out of this. Right. You know, right. Um, and and we feel proud of being leaders in certain things. And so yeah. the church is very ours, and someone else tries to change it. It's like, yeah. not well, yours. It's, it's not yours. It's mine. I've earned this. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And so the, there's obviously problems with that. Yeah. But I think that realizing that that church is owned by someone you can relate to, yeah. I think that yeah. it creates this. That's a little synergy around it.
1: You know, I, I keep thinking of this thing Leonard Sweet has said in a lot of his writings, that people want to belong before they believe. Mm-hmm. And if they don't feel like they belong, it doesn't matter how biblically sound or logical your beliefs are. They, it doesn't matter until they feel like there's a sense of belonging and community to it. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes we get in our own way with that because we have this sense of entitlement and the hierarchy and all the things of... of people who have earned their keys over the years and all that stuff just gets in the way of a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think entitlement is one of uh, the bigger challenges that I see. You're sitting in my pew. That's my (laughs) parking spot. Yeah, Um, true. You know, I will give this money to help the church on the condition that, you know, like Listen, that's, this happened. Yeah.
0: My grandpa's been the head this year. And that yeah. doesn't help
1: belonging in any no, no, way. No. It yeah. makes people feel like I'm not instead of I am.
0: Mm-hmm. And our theme this year for Diablo <laughs> is building the body of Christ. Um, I like to look at it as building our community, mm-hmm. you know, building up our community. Um, I feel like I sense that and what you're getting at as yeah. well.. Yeah. Um, how would you define community?
1: Man, I think community is just family. I mean, in my mind, when I think of community, I think of people who are uh, headed the same direction despite you know their their journey. Like philosophically, they're on the same page as each other. Uh, they may disagree over some of the details occasionally, but their their love and compassion and empathy for each other, outweighs any differences that might exist mm-hmm. they're they're just on each other's side um, I, and I've worked at places where there is a really strong sense of family and belonging um, but I unfortunately I've worked at more places that don't have that mm-hmm. it's more of the entitlement more of the separation us yeah, elitism. yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wish we could work on that a little bit more but again that's like Fuller says, that's a culture change. That's something that each person has to take ownership of for their own behaviors before it changes the bigger picture.
0: Right. Um, oh, one of my favorite books I've read over the last couple of years uh, was uh, Chimamanda Adichie's mm-hmm. We Should All Be Feminists. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, one of the key things she says in there is, people say that you know, especially in in, in cultures where feminism is still not a thing, because of the history behind it, you know, and, and she's including, obviously, us, you know, <laughs> is the fact that people think, oh, it's the it's the culture. We can't change the culture. Yeah. And then she says, if your culture isn't to be feminist, mm-hmm. it's time to make your culture feminist. Makes sense. And I think, and that makes sense that of makes a sense. lot of concepts as well, not just yeah, feminism. Yeah. I mean, just, just
1: a great example of cultures that you wouldn't think would change. Just a month ago, we have some countries in the Middle East that had never allowed women to drive and now they're getting driver's licenses. Agreed, yeah. So, I mean uh, that's a that's, that's a huge deal. Yeah. That's a huge deal. Uh, it's a small step, but it's a huge deal.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. a culture change. When it comes to like youth and uh, and minorities and women, yeah. there's definitely needs to there has to be this culture Absolutely. change. Absolutely. And I saw a post about white evangelical evangelicals and I think this is a, a problem that has come around. Chickens have come have come back home to, to roost Jerusalem. or something? Is that how the <laughs> yeah, saying goes? Yeah. Because the gospel has belonged to white evangelicals. To the white man. Yeah.
1: Not, not. Uh, you can't even use white evangelicals, it's been the white man. <laughs> right, yeah.
0: I, yes, agreed, agreed, agreed. And I'm happy to say that I haven't seen as big of an influence as that on the Adventist Church. You know, maybe something from our, uh, our roots in abolitionism or Sure. And, and uh, having a woman being one of our biggest leaders. But there's still... There's still it, some there's still different, th- Yeah, yeah. There's things that definitely are at odds with
1: what I... Well, like, well and I, I struggle with that, too, because you know Pew did... And I don't know where they got their research from. I, and I think uh, Trim and some of the other people in our research and statistics office have disagreed with Pew's results of us being the Adventist church is the most uh, diverse. diverse religious denomination in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that's a cool thing to you know, have and see in print, even if it's disagreed with by our academics and researchers. I don't know if that's accurate, though, mm. because when I look around, I see major divisions and a whole lot of the same. Right. I mean, maybe it's because I'm just in the Midwest. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I mean, even when I lived in places that were uh, a lot more diverse, um, it was still not what that research study said. Mm-hmm. And I I look at places that have separated out by race. I mean, here in the Kansas Nebraska conference, we have uh, the regional conference. We have very separate hispanic churches we have very separate um refugee churches in omaha we have very separate everything is separate and there isn't a whole lot of together Mm -hmm. Uh, you see together at camp meeting occasionally depending on you know who the speaker is and uh how that gets communicated Mm -hmm. but there's there's a lot more separate than there is together and having that diversity is swell but what are we going to do with it right what are we doing with
0: it? Yeah, so what do you think what, what, what solutions to that? Uh, how, how do you... Well, how, and I know this is this is coming from two men. <laughs> I don't know why we, we we're not Well, this white man's going to tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, this man's
1: playing this, right? Yeah.
0: What are some ways that Well, I can, can tell you what I'm church?
1: doing about it. I, yeah, I, please. I have... My wife is Hispanic, and I feel like she has opened my eyes to a whole world of things that has just made me a better person.
0: So you're saying we should have married. Yes. yes, interracial <laughs> marriages are really important. Um,
1: <laughs> so, but, you know, for me, I have I have come to really appreciate diversity over my life. The the backgrounds from where I have been in life, I, I went to a school where um, I was one of only six White kids in the entire school. Everyone else was Native American, mm-hmm. which was a really fascinating uh, difference for the rest of my life. Having been just a white boy like everyone else, right. and that shaped me to be more open to people different from me. Mm-hmm. Whether it's um, superstitions or cultural norms or word patterns or you know whatever it happens to be, it was very different for me, and it mm-hmm. has opened me up to be more. Uh, to have a more open posture toward people different from me throughout my life. Right, yeah. Um, So now, when I think about my job, um, I try to be very intentional to be inclusive for whatever the context happens to be. If I'm doing an event, I want to make sure that I'm reaching out to all of the various uh, subgroups and subcategories that may or may not necessarily uh, have somebody who is looking out for them to say, hey, there's this event happening. Mm -hmm. So I want to try and reach out to the different Uh, groups that are available and say hey we've got this thing happening you got to come it's going to be amazing
0: yeah
1: with my summer camp i try as much as possible to hire such a wide range of people so when campers come they say there's someone like me here Mm -hmm. and not just someone like me here someone who is doing you know leadership positions and doing good things last summer all of my uh all except for one of my directors uh activity staff, boys and girls directors, assistant directors, um, all but one were female. And I felt so good about that that I was giving, I was empowering women leadership. Yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. But, you know, I'm not doing that for my own pat myself on the back. I'm doing Mm -hmm. it because I genuinely saw people who had talent and I wanted to equip them to be better. And so in that sense, you know, I look at what's shaping up right now for my staff and I absolutely love the diversity that I have Mm -hmm. in terms of, my leadership positions, again, a lot of female leaders that are stepping into these leadership roles and doing tremendous job and also looking at the wide range of uh, racial cultural diversity that is represented at my camp. I absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. And it just makes everything more fun. It makes everything more enjoyable. Um, but so, it takes you having to be... It takes me being intentional, intentional to, to seek yeah. out people that are like that, to seek out people that are different from you know the
0: stereotypical white male the, camp the Midwest, person. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, piggybacking off of that, I talked to Dr. Johnson recently about his book um, "Where Are We Headed?" Adventism after, after uh, San Antonio, yeah. And one of the key point, one of the key, key turning points of that discussion, and we're still having it today, is the whole issue of women's ordination. Uh, I don't want to get into that right now, but I do want to talk to you about maybe bringing it a little bit more personal. Mm-hmm. Um I know you're the good news is that you're having a baby girl coming yes up. what kind of church do you want her to grow up in? man, that's a tough one because I want
1: her to be surrounded by strong female role models, and I want her to be able to uh say I can do that too when I'm older mm. um, I don't want her to grow up in a world where she's told she can't mm. um and, and I don't want her to grow up in a church where she's told that she can't ask those types of questions or she's not supposed to speak up or whatever it ends up being. I want, I want the world to be open to her to make it her own.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, what would you like her to know?
1: Man, I want her to know that she's safe and loved. And I want her to know that uh, there's hope. You know, I don't want her to be discouraged by everything. Mm. And I feel like for a lot of people these days, maybe it's just me projecting my own feelings on other people, but I feel like there's not a lot of hope going around these days.
0: Right. Yeah. It's hard to come by.
1: It's hard to come by.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, on my newsletter every week that I send out, I make it a point that at the end, every week have some sort of good news. Yeah.
1: I want, you know, my wife and I have talked a lot about this, that especially with the Me Too movement that's that's been right. happening, um, I want my daughter to grow up in a world where she's believed, where Mm -hmm. she is uh, safe enough to be able to say no and to speak her mind without any fear or repercussions. And I know that may be idealistic, but I know for me as a male, that's how I feel. Right, yeah. So I don't think that's too far off. Mm -hmm. I think anyone should be able to live in a world where they feel safe and comfortable enough to resist and to say no and to, to give themselves um, more respect than somebody else thinks they deserve.
0: Yeah, to to be to feel worthy of the yes. keys. That yes. Yes. Exactly. Like, um, yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks for coming in. Yeah. Uh, thanks for taking the time to uh, speak with us. I hope hopefully, we'll have you on again sometime. You bet. Anytime. Yeah. Thanks. Yep. Thank you for listening to the advance. Please join us next time.